Welcome to the Inspire Your Events podcast. My name is Kevin Snow, founder of eventsbysnow.com. We're all here for two main reasons. Number one, you want to host a wedding or event that is completely unique, exciting, and memorable. Number two, you've got a passion for learning new ideas, discovering insider tips, and collaborating to raise the industry standards. I've worked full-time as a wedding and special event DJ since 2011. During that time, I've learned what makes an event successful and met some awesome people along the way. So let's discover these secrets. Meet some of these people and have an inspired event. Hey folks, welcome back to the Inspire Your Event podcast. I have a very special episode for you today. My guest is Alan Berg, and I'm going to let him introduce himself a little bit further. Well, thank you, Kevin. Uh, I'm Alan Berg. I'm an educator and a speaker and consultant in the wedding industry. I published two wedding magazines. I was vice president at The Knot for 11 years I've written five books, spoken in 14 countries about the business of weddings and events, and I love helping vendors and venues and couples just have amazing days. Well, we're excited to have you here, and uh, let's get into it. Now, so where in South Carolina? You said Lexington? Yes, which is just outside of Columbia, basically the dead center of the state. With um, Right. We're okay. about, yeah. with Columbia being the capital, yeah. and we're about two hours straight up north of Charleston into the center of the state. Okay. Hour south of okay. Charlotte. Yeah, and I have, Yeah, cuz I have friends and clients all around there. Greenville I have a lot of people in Greenville. I've done oh, yeah. some sales training in Greenville, you know, but that's way up by the border. Um, you know, a couple of hours out to uh, Asheville. I have friends out in Asheville. So, yeah, no, it's uh it, it's nice down there. But the again, the weather is just being crazy now are you doing the catering and the venue or just the venue no we they have to bring in outside catering here we do have a prep space for them okay. but um we have a couple of preferred vendors that we like to work with when it comes to catering but we don't really have right. um any policy saying they can't choose whoever they would like as long as it is a licensed and insured company okay yeah i did a a couple of webinars earlier this year one was for venues and caterers about you know when you refer vendors is there something in it for you and then i did one for everybody including all the vendors that you know, when you get referred business by a venue or a caterer do you you know do you owe them anything you know is you have an arrangement um and it was very interesting because there were about six different caterers and venues on a panel that i did and they all do things differently you know some are their own caterer some are you have to use this preferred list and then those caterers pay a whatever it is a referral fee a commission whatever you want to call it are uh, for getting business there but they're the more actively promoted the vendors are the more they're willing to pay for that privilege because they didn't have to do any advertising or marketing one guy in philly he's a, a catering client of mine he doesn't own any venues but he's exclusive at 16. so you go to that venue it's his person that's selling the venue even though he doesn't own the venue but you have to use his catering so they're selling it as a package they're not saying oh you're going to pay us this rental fee and whatever it's all included in there and you know he's got a concierge he's got a person that after you book your venue and catering with him they then help you book all the other vendors and those vendors pay him 10 percent um and for him he does in a normal year, you know, can't talk this year, but in a normal year, 600 weddings a year, 700 weddings a that's year. That's unreal. Um, that's a lot of money. That's a lot, a lot of money. 
Um, yeah, uh, it, who was I talking to the other day? Um, oh, a, a, I was at a, a DJ photo booth conference and there was a company there that I've done some training and, and consulting for there in Southern California. And in 2019, they did 4,000 events. They, yeah, they, you can't get your head around that. No, <laughs> there has they have to have so many. I'm assuming they have multiple, multiple photo booths and folks that are working with them to be able to do that. And, and sometimes probably doubling up one person has an, an earlier event and then something in the evening. But man, they, that's incredible yeah. as well. Yeah, weddings, uh, you know, festivals, corporate events, schools. I mean, they're doing everything there. And we actually had a consult when I was out in uh, Chicago at this conference with them talking about, well, the reset now with what happened last year and what, what is going forward, you know, is 4,000 the right number? Or, you know, is it 3,000? Or is it 500, right? Like, what's the number that's the most profitable? Not what's the number that's the most impressive. And And I always tell my clients, I want to feed your family, not your ego. So if your ego needs to do X number of events, but you're not as profitable as if you did less events, I would rather you did less events. Right? I agree. And, you know, I, feed the family and go on vacation. <laughs> how did you get started in this? Where did it take you and to where, and then where you are now? So I had no plans to get into the industry. I was actually in the car business and I got into the car business because my friend's father bought a Chrysler dealership. So again, no grand plan to get into the car business either. But this guy's a good friend of mine from the seventh grade. His father always had a used car dealership. And then when Lee Iacocca was trying to get Chrysler out of the hole, um, he was trying to get new dealerships opened. And my friend's father opened the Chrysler dealership where his used car dealership was. And a year later, I'm a you know magna cum laude college graduate in marketing and accounting. And my friend says, uh, Hey, you want to come sell cars? I was like, cool. You know, like that was the interview. <laughs> you know, you want to come sell cars? And I ended up doing that for six years. Uh, went into management, and it, it, you know, the 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 very the little bit longer short story is I ended up being one of the top fifty Chrysler salesmen in the country. I was the national product information champion four years in a row. The only the first four years they had this competition, I won every year. Um, and then I went into management at a Honda dealership, but it wasn't the leasing managing that I wanted. It was, if you've ever bought a new car or a truck and after you buy your car or truck, they send you to the other person that tries to sell you all the other stuff, right? That was the job and I hated that job. I mean, hated. I felt no integrity. Uh, my wife was pregnant, I was never home. You know, I, I, I used to joke that I worked half, just a half a day, you know, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. You know, 12 hours, that's a half a day, right? That's, uh, yeah, you know those half days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, technically. Um, so, you know, I hated the job. And then my best friend bought a franchise of a wedding magazine. And he called me up and he said, listen, I don't want a partner. I want a salesman. I want you. It was straight commission. 1099, no salary, no drug, no minimum, no guarantee, no base. I was making really good money at the dealership. I had a company car, but I hated it. So my wife was pregnant and I took a job in a new industry, had to give back the company car and all the benefits, had to go get you know, Cobra on my health insurance, how to go buy a car. And I'm in a new industry. And for five years, I drove around New Jersey and the Hudson Valley in New York, knocking on doors like yours, trying to sell wedding advertising in a magazine. And then we bought the magazines and published those for another five years. 
and they were franchises. So the franchisor then wanted me to come work for them to manage their sales team on the Northeast from Boston down to DC. So we sold our franchises back. I went to work for them. And shortly thereafter, the dot bought that company. So 10 years into already being in the business, the Knot now owns, I'm now working for the Knot, which was a pretty new company and had their IPO just recently. And that's how they had the money to buy our company. And what they basically bought was a sales team. They, they, they wanted, the magazines ended up being part of it, but they really bought a sales team all over the country. Uh, that was a very quick way to expand themselves. And I ended up being there for 11 years. I was a regional sales director, then I was vice president of sales. So I ran all the local sales at the Knot. Uh, I did all the education. I was the main business speaker. If you wanted someone to speak about like colors and trends and styles, that wasn't me. You know, that was Carly, who was one of the founders or an editor. But if it was going to the wedding MBA, I've spoken at everyone they've ever had or a NACE conference or, a, you know, ILEA, which used to be called ISIS <laughs> or a local wedding association, I was the speaker. Uh, I did all the sales training internally and I did all of that speaking and I was there 11 years. Um, and I was there 10 years ago, which really blows my mind, Kevin, because I was there for 11. I've been out of there for 10. And it, when I left, uh, I actually was, I got caught in a big downsizing, me and a whole bunch of people. And it was the proverbial best thing that ever happened to me. Because since then, I've, I had written my first book just before that happened. And I've now written five books. Uh, I've presented in 14 countries uh, in two languages because I've taught myself Spanish since I left and presented in five countries in Spanish. I'm now teaching myself French. Uh, we're supposed to be going to Paris in October. It was supposed to be last October, but you know that didn't happen. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've been able to travel the world talking to wedding and event professionals about the business of weddings and events. So I don't speak about weddings. If I, I remember the first time I went to India, I'm like, you know, what do they want to hear? They want to hear what I say here. They want to hear what we do here. They don't want to hear what they do there. They know what they do there. They want to hear it here. And I've realized that in every country that I've gone to, they want to hear pretty much what I say here because I talk about business. So while as a wedding in South Carolina is somewhat different than a wedding here in New Jersey, it's also different than one in Australia or in Colombia, South America or in Dubai. But the business isn't much different, right? You have to get in front of the right audience. You have to get an inquiry. You have to have a great conversation. You have to make the sale. Then you get to do the wedding. <laughs> and that first part, it's really the same all over the world, right? How do you get their attention is different in India than it is in, you know, whatever, Australia. But it, you have to get their attention, right? Once you get an inquiry, you have to handle that inquiry well. You know, you know what? They don't want to pick up the phone and call you in Dubai. They want to email you or fill out a contact form. It's no different than here. So I found that I change very little of what I say when I go around the world because it is kind of universal. It really is universal for, you know, the business side of weddings and events. But the wedding itself, I mean, you know, you look at the United States, you just go state to state, like a New Orleans wedding is different than a wedding by you, right? And, and a Portland, Oregon wedding is different than a wedding by me. So those differences don't change the beginning part, which is if no one knows you exist, nothing's going to happen. So in my 25 plus years in the industry, it was falling into an industry and then really falling in love with the industry. And I think what I love about it is, you know, take a guy like yourself. You look at an airplane hangar and you see a wedding venue, right? Like you see an event space. A lot of people just see an old building, right? That takes a vision. And that's what's great about this industry is that people have such creativity and such vision. 
what they don't have a lot of is business sense. <laughs> and, and that's why I have a business because if I talk to 20 somethings and blow their mind, then my business has a future. If I talk to 20 somethings and they're like, you know, who is this guy? What, I, I don't, I'm not getting anything from this. I don't have a future, but they need me just as much as the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60 something people because I don't care how great a photographer you are. That doesn't make you a business person, right? I, I, don't, how, I don't care how great a florist you are or efficient or whatever, DJ. That doesn't make you a great business person. So what I help you do is find out what you're trying to accomplish. And then like we're talking about, you know, feeding family, not your ego. How do you become profitable by helping people have amazing events? And that means everybody benefits. And that's what I do. Well, thank you uh, for that. It sounds, you know, like <laughs> getting involved with the not kind of unexpectedly, but then being so deep in what they were doing, you've learned a, obviously a great deal about the wedding industry. And of course you have your podcast, Wedding Business Solutions, which um, I've listened to all of those. So uh, I knew that you were studying these languages, which I just think it's great that you're bettering yourself and figuring out a way like, how do I take this even further um, and to learn languages and then get to travel the world? Like that's very exciting um, to hear. And I know that what you're also doing is basically helping us like I, I did not have a business background. I studied theater education. I taught high school for a couple of years, started, uh, I, I've always loved music. I was DJing on the weekends to make some extra money. And then when I did my first wedding, um, kind of unexpectedly, I was, I thought to myself, I was like, wow, this is real life theater to me. You know, it's dress up. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. You did your first wedding. Uh, unexpected. Une tell me how you did a wedding unexpected. Okay. So it wasn't like it was a surprise to me when I got there, but it was just like you, I never said, right. to, if you would ask me when I was in high school or college, right. are you going to work in the wedding industry? Just not even on my radar, but I do like yeah. performing. So I've played in bands and, you know, sing karaoke around town and like to get on stage and entertain people. And that's what I, I started doing on the weekends right. just for some extra money when I was teaching. And then that evolved. I was hosting karaoke. I was knocking on every bar restaurant okay. in the area trying to pitch my karaoke gig and it took off but then people said hey we want to do this at a party and then there were people who said we just want the music no karaoke so now i'm just playing music at events right and someone approached me and said would you like to play music at my wedding and that's when i got there and realized this is really where i'm supposed to be i also taught public speaking whenever i was a, a theater teacher um teaching high school so I'm, I'm able to, to speak with people and entertain and everyone's getting dressed up and we're do this light cue, play this song. There's a dance. There, there's really a lot of things that was like, this is a, a paratheatrical event and I love it. Um, and, I, and I really do love it. And I've been doing the weddings now for 10 years as this is my, my 10th year, my 10 year anniversary. And I'm, I would say I, we'll, we'll call it two years deep with running a venue because I knew I, <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to be young and cool forever. I know I'm going to eventually start disliking music that's popular and I'm going to have to lug these speakers around forever and stay up really late and then pack and all this. I was like, you know, what's the next step for me? And that is to have the stage. So this airplane hangar to me in a sense is a black box theater. There's no right. real windows or anything here. I mean, we can open the door for natural light, but I can control the lighting in here. 
And I took it from a very vendor uh, approach when putting this together, because when I'm DJing and there's all this natural light, nobody dances really during the daytime. It's not a party. When you're in here in the middle of the day, as it is right now, it's to something, it looks exactly the same at nighttime in here. So you, you get that same environment right. regardless. Um, I made sure that the bar was right next to the dance floor because it's always irked me when people have to go to the other side of the venue or outside. That's where the party is while they're, while they're all hanging out mingling. But if they have to do it right next to the dance floor, it just makes more sense. Um, and there's a lot of things that I did. Like what that. did you do uh, sound insulation wise? Well, fortunately, what did you do sound insulation wise? Yes. Um, fortunately, this building was already fully insulated when I got it, but it was just like white okay. um, oh, good. like foam. We've sprayed all of that black. And then we have wood paneling all the okay. way around uh, the perimeter of the building. And then, of course, the pipe and drapes. So the insulation, yeah. the wood and the, the cloth really create um, good acoustics in here. It's not one of those venues where everyone's chattering nice. at dinner and it's really, really loud. And then I have someone come up to me and they say, it's awfully loud in here. Can you turn your music down? Which has happened. And I've, I've turned the music <laughs> down. I've turned the music down and now my music's off. And they're like, it's still pretty loud. And I'm like, ma'am, that's just the clanking of plates yeah. and people laughing, you know, and it's something that I don't right. think a lot <laughs> right. of people, you know, venues or couples take into consideration whenever they book their space, it might be a very beautiful space, but if it's got hard marble floors, high ceilings, you know, it's all concrete, like that sound is just gonna bounce everywhere. And I think venues need to know that they should put some sort of sound dampening devices in there. Um, because there's sometimes I get booked to go DJ at a venue and I'm just like, oh, this is gonna result in me not being able to provide the best quality of service because it just sounds like you have seashells on your ears the whole time you're there, you know? So, um, and that's something that, yeah, I, I was in the Louisville, Kentucky with a friend of mine. Oh, sorry. I was, I was in Louisville, Kentucky with a friend of mine and he was going to be doing a wedding at a train station and it was marble floors and it was four stories open and, you know, all hard surfaces. And what he did is he brought four Bose system them at the corners of the dance floor facing in so that he could just kind of isolate the sound. They do hang draping and stuff, but this particular couple didn't want the draping to, you know, to which would dampen some of the sound. But he said, he's, you know, he's going to do the best he can by trying to isolate the sound to that area. But, you know, acoustics is acoustics. I have a rug on the wall behind my monitor here. Um, you know, I have them close as I can over here. I could make it a little bit more, but it's a carpeted room and you know, the sound is the sound is good. I don't mind a little bit of echo, it adds a little bit of depth. It's when it's really hollow sounding. That's when, you know, it's a problem. So we you know we play as much. I mean I know the sound the sound would be better if I stayed right here, but it's not a good look, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I like I like seeing both your eyes and your whole face. But um, yeah, and, yeah, there you go. It's one of those things that's kind of tough for me whenever I'm trying to um, speak with a couple about them selecting a venue. Sometimes they come to me first, and of course, I would love for them to get married here. But when I tell them, or even if I'm giving a tour of this, I explain the acoustics. And, you know, that's not always one thing that's like high priority on their list, but I, I really wish it no. was. Um, you know, they're, they're looking for, you know, whatever else it might be. And I feel like I might be coming off as salesy or like that I'm making up some sort of reason because they, 
they haven't experienced it weekend after weekend after weekend the way I have going into different venues. Um, right. And there's a lot of things that I'd like to tell right. couples, but I'm afraid that I'm going to come off as, you know, I'm trying to twist their arm in some way or another when I'm really just trying to provide them facts. And that's what I kind of like about the podcast. If somebody chooses to listen to this, then it's, they can hear what I would potentially say to other people and take what applies to them or doesn't. And now having you who, you know, understand the industry as well, kind of corroborating what I'm saying here. um, I do want people to know that my, I've got like three goals, basically two, one of them um, can kind of be divided, but I just want to provide the best possible experience for my clients that I work Mm -hmm. with especially even if they're, they're not a dance, if they're not a dancing crowd and they tell me that they're like, you know, we just need somebody to play background music. For me, that's not necessarily my avatar of a a event or of a client. I want to go to the party where people are dancing. That's going to show people what I do. And then hopefully I'll get word of mouth referrals from there. And I just blow it out and do a fantastic job for people. If I'm at an event where everyone's sitting around and it's quiet, or they tell me they're like, oh, we don't need any lighting or anything like that. We just want some sound. There may be a person who's <laughs> sitting there who's like, why would we hire this DJ? He doesn't even have lights. You know, so. When- yeah, yeah I, I remember going, I went to a wedding of a DJ. Uh, and I was always a guest at a wedding. So there were seven or eight DJs there, plus the DJ who was DJing it. I knew them all. And it was the most chill wedding I've ever been to, right? This is a wedding of a DJ. And it was the most chill. It was maybe a hundred people. It wasn't a big event. They had kind of food carts because they like New York City. So they like the idea of food carts. And I spoke to the couple, my wife and I spoke to the couple probably five, six, seven times that night when usually it's, you know, hit and run. Like the couple goes around trying to talk to everybody and then, you know, they go back. It was a really, really enjoyable event. Not at all what I expected. I expected to go there and there's going to be a dance party. And that wasn't what they want. And the DJ who was DJing was a little frustrated because he, he said, I would normally have the dance floor packed and you know sweaty people right by now, but that's not what the couple wanted. Um, he's like, I'm giving them what they want, but it's not what they wanted. They had a, a guy who was a uh, Frank Sinatra, Michael Buble kind of a singer who was phenomenal. He was a jerk, but he was phenomenal. <laughs> uh, he knew how good he was, you know, one of those people. He knew exactly how good he was. And yeah. You know, he had yeah. that ego to go along with it. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, the, the, the you have to be the right fit. Um, it's okay to say, no, I, I'm working with, a, I have a client in Texas, they have 23 venues. And I was teaching them the other day how to say no, how to say no when someone asks for a discount, how to say no when it's not the right fit. It's okay to say no, uh, and you'll get the next customer who comes along and wants what you're gonna provide right? Then it's a good fit for both of you. Um, but yeah, this is a, th- this is a fun business. Um, it's uh, it, what I would say to you in terms of all the things you want to tell couples that they don't know to ask you is really what it is, because they just don't know how to shop for what it is, is you bring it up in the form of a question. You know, I, hey, have you guys ever been to a wedding where, you know, it was kind of really loud, just kind of echoey, there just was noise all over the place? And there's a good chance that they have. Or you could say, have you been to a, you know, a wedding or maybe even a restaurant? Remember my wife and I go into a restaurant. Uh, we live near Princeton, New Jersey. And we went to this restaurant and 
The tables were too close together. It was a solid wood table, solid wood floor, wood, you know, wood ceiling, wood, I mean, hardwoods everywhere. And, you know, these people you don't know are like in your space because they're so close to you and you're hearing everything. You're just noise. It was just noise and it wasn't enjoyable. And then I've been to other places where I'm looking around going, what did they do? Like they must've done something with the insulation, but they did it well. So it wasn't, you know, like foam stuff all over the place, but they, they did it really well. It's like, we can have a talk. Like I want to sit at dinner and have a conversation with people, right? I, I don't want to sit at dinner and have to yell and hear, you know, and sometimes you get with, you know, that table with 12 people next to you, just really loud. Well, that's a wedding, right? Every table has eight, 10 people. It's just going to get really loud. So if you bring it up in the form of a question, then you get them thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, we were at this one. It was really, really loud. You know, some venues don't understand about sound insulation. That's one thing we take really good pride in over here, right? So you ask the question, which then gives you permission to then give the answer. If And if they say, nope, can't think of it, say, well, you know, we've taken care of our sound insulation here. You're not going to have that problem here either. And then you move on. And then you can bring up something else in the same way. And I, where is it over my shoulder? This book shut up and sell more weddings and events is don't tell them, ask, and then you, you can either get into that conversation or not. And I just had a conversation the other day with a, a, a guy that I'm doing sales training for. He's engaged. And at the end of our hour sales training, he's like, okay, can I ask you some stuff about wedding planning? We're going out to Traverse City to go look at our venue. What should we be looking for? <laughs> so that was him now as a groom saying, what should I be looking for? What should I be asking? You know, what are the things there? Um, yeah. And, and I my think advice to him was just remember, go ahead. No, well, go. I was, and what you're saying, people are saying, what should I be asking? There's, I think there's a lot of good information and a lot of bad information that's out there on the internet when it's like 50 questions to ask your DJ or whatever vendor it might be. Oh. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you take it from there. But they don't know why. See, that's the thing is they don't know why they're asking those questions. So there's really no context for them. You know, if I read a list of questions off and then they ask you those questions, they don't know what the answers mean. So what I like to do is get them to think about the results of whatever it is you're talking about. So in terms of sound insulation, telling them you have sound insulation has no context whatsoever. But saying to them, hey, have you guys ever been at a wedding where it just got really loud? Or maybe you're at a restaurant, it just get really loud. Everybody's talking, you're hearing the plates, hearing everything. And you couldn't hear the music. You couldn't hear what was going on or uh, people making announcements. I was actually at an event. It was a DJ event uh, last week um, and a party at this beautiful venue. I know the owner of the venue. She's, a, she's an entertainment company. And she, like you, she got a venue. And I think it was probably around the same time as you got yours. So 2020 was a was not a good year. And she said, you know, they're planning on putting sound insulation. But I, I got to tell you, Kevin, people were making announcements. I couldn't hear a word, you know, like being on the subway in New York, you know, and they were like, they say, right. And everybody can relate to that. And when you say, you know, people are making announcements, they're making toasts and you can't hear, you can't understand what's going on. That's because of lack of planning for sound insulation. You know, coming from an entertainment background, I've taken care of that here in the venue, right? You're able to then say that, but the question gets them to think about the result, in that case, a bad result, which then you get to talk about the good result. 
So like even that. if they've never thought about it, you've now you've now given context. And you can do that with just about everything because, you know, like if somebody said to you, hey, so what kind of speakers do you use? Does it matter, right? Like, like does it matter, right? I had a photographer, I was on Clubhouse and I, I asked her, I said, Bobby, what kind of camera do you use? And she goes, uh, gee, it's like, really? I was expecting, you know, Canon, Nikon, Sony, something like that. She said, Fuji. I said, why Fuji? She goes, because I'm getting older and it's lighter, <laughs> right? And like you said about the speakers, lugging the speakers. Uh, I don't know if you've seen my piano videos, but I, I, I play piano and keyboards. So when I played in bands, my first speaker was so big, my parents had to buy a station wagon so they could drive me around because I was 15, so I couldn't, couldn't drive. And it was the four foot tall, two 15-inch reflex bass cap, right? And I had all the amps and stuff. And then at one point, I'm, I'm doing three keyboards and all this kind of stuff. By the time I stopped gigging, I had one keyboard and I had one 15-inch Sirwin Vega speaker and it all fit into a compact car, right? It's like, you didn't need a van. You didn't need any of that kind of stuff. I'm like, I can get really good sound out of the right equipment. I don't need it to be big and heavy and whatever. Um, what was important to me was I can carry it myself. If there was no elevator, I could take it upstairs and I'm not going to kill myself. My 188 key keyboard had all the voices I needed on it, right? I didn't need to go stack three high and, you know, be, hey, look at me with these keyboards. No. Did it sound good? Absolutely. Right. That's it. And the end result was that the client's having a great time and you're not breaking yourself setting everything up so you're able to provide a better experience and you're not sweating and having to take a big break after your setup and everything so um, everything's good for everybody in that situation that sounds win-win but right I, and i Those think results uh, Pe people pay, people pay for the results they don't they don't pay for the stuff they pay for the results yeah. and you should be selling results and they should be you should be finding out from the couple what is the experience they want for their guests? And then talking about how you're going to create that experience. You know, the, the, the means to an end is up to you as the expert. But if you don't know what the end is, it becomes commoditized. Well, your venue costs this or your DJ, you know, your DJ costs this and they cost that. So I'm going to go with the cheaper one. If you're going selling the results, they'll very often go with the more expensive one because those are the results they want. They don't want the cheaper ones. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's interesting when people it, like if you laid out this like elaborate, actually, let's just say we're going on vacation, like oh, how much does it cost? You know, like it's five hundred dollars to do it. And they're like, oh, I wasn't expecting to pay five hundred dollars this weekend. I don't want to go on vacation with you. That sounds like a lot. Right. Then I say, well, I don't I didn't right. mention, you know, I, I've got us a flight with somebody that I know to Paris and they're you know, it's a private thing. He's taking us. It's, you right. know, and like all this right. and we're, we just need the right. And then they're like, well, I didn't know it was going to be all of that. Like then all of a sudden right. the whole mind, you know, shift occurs. So showing them what they're going to get and then also, you know, delivering it, not, not uh, saying you're going to do all these things and then have to um, somehow not meet the expectations. That would be the, the other side right. of that. But when you were talking, well, it, it's, if you know what the expectation is, if you know what the expectation is, then you know whether or not you'll be able to meet or exceed it. If you only know the services they want, you don't know the expectation, and that's how you can fall short because you told them what you're gonna do, but their expectation was different. It's kind of like, uh, you know, whether they say people that have champagne taste on a beer budget, right? Some people understand that if they have a beer budget and they paid for beer, 
they get beer, right? But other people are like, well, I really wanted champagne, but I could only afford beer and you gave me beer. Right, because mm -hmm. you could only afford beer, yeah. but I wanted champagne. Okay, but you couldn't afford champagne, but I wanted, right? Those are the people that'll write you a bad review when you did everything you were supposed to do because the expectations weren't met. Uh, I'll give you a quick funny story. When my older son graduated high school, I thought, let's take a family vacation because it might be the last time we get to do this, right? With him going off to college, then his brother will go off to college, right? So I asked them what they wanted to do, the, the, my two sons, and they're coming up with all this lame stuff. Like we'll go to Florida to some place that's got a swimming pool. I was like, really? Like, I want something memorable. Right? This, is, this could be our last big trip. They, they didn't come up with anything. So I finally came up with my plan, but I pitched it to them this way right? Lower the expectations. I said, I booked us flights to Cleveland, Ohio. And when we get to Cleveland, Cleveland, we're renting a minivan and we're going to do some stuff, Cleveland. Then we're going to drive up to uh, the, the Michigan area. And then we're going to head up to Chicago and then we're going to fly home. And my sons are like, wow, like you really, you really did that dad, huh? Right. Well, we did. We flew to Cleveland and went to rock and roll hall of fame. Right. And my younger son who plays guitar both of my sons play instruments my younger son literally went on his knees in front of Jimi hendrix guitar and he's like bowing over there so we went to the hall of fame and we went to uh the henry ford museum which is the second largest museum in the country it's outside of detroit and we went to the uh, dearborn to the where they make the f-150 they yeah the f-150 ford pickups and there's Rouge Assembly Plant, which is one of the largest in the world. And we saw them building trucks and stuff. And we went to Chicago and went to Frank Lloyd Wright's home. And we went, the, the Sox were out of town. So we went, I'm sorry, the Cubs were out of town. So we went to White Sox game and we went to Michigan Avenue, all this kind of stuff. And when we were in the, we were in Dave and Buster's having lunch on the way to the airport on our last day. And my sons were like, this was the best vacation ever, right? But I said it at them is, you know, we're going to Cleveland, we're going to Detroit, we're going to Chicago, right? Yeah. But the truth was, we went to really, really cool places. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've um, I've never been to Cleveland. Um, or I, actually, I've I've only stopped into Chicago and Detroit for uh, whenever I had to change flights. But not knowing anything okay. really about those cities, other than you know, I'm sure that like, oh, Chicago sounds fun, but not knowing anything about <clears throat> the cities. I have no idea what I could potentially be getting myself into. I went to Kansas City, which to me sounds like this landlocked place in the middle of the Midwest where who knows, like, like Kansas City. I drove there yeah. by myself, zero expectations, had the best trip I'd ever had in my entire life. And now I feel like I'm a spokesperson going around telling people, you need to go to Kansas City. It's hidden right in the middle of the, you know, it's, it's the jewel, like. It's an amazing mm -hmm. place, and I, I, you know, it's a I, great city. It's a, yeah. yeah. Did, did you go to? Uh, did you have the barbecue? Oh, what is it? Uh, it's to be called Oklahoma Joe's. It's called Kansas City Joe's now in the gas station. Did you have uh, that barbecue I, there? It's very famous. I ate. Well, I did go to a place with uh, where Guy Fieri did his diners, drive-ins, and dives, um, and had some barbecue there. I tried to have barbecue a couple of different places, and I don't know. I, I don't think I went there. But I always need a reason. Wasn't it a gas station where Guy Fieri, where, where Guy Fieri went? It wasn't the gas station. I don't think it was, and I don't even remember the name of the place. But um, okay, well, there's a I lot like of said, barbecue around. Yes, yeah, so like I said, and, I always need another reason. Called Jack Stack. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to eat barbecue, and you exactly. don't need a reason to eat barbecue. Yeah, just eat barbecue. They also have some of the best fried chicken I've ever had. 
Yeah, it's called, it's called Kansas City Joes. Used to be called Oklahoma Joes, but they were there so long they changed the name to Kansas City Joes. And then there's a fried chicken place. I can't remember the name of the place. Some of the best fried chicken I've ever had. Um, but there, there's tons of great barbecue there. No, I love that city. And then there's that place, what is it called? The Electric... Oh yeah, uh, or, the Electric um, Light District or something like that, or the Electric... Something uh, something like that, yeah. Yes. Very cool, very cool. Yep, yeah. I, I know great I went, city. I love I it. There. A lot of good friends there. Same. So yeah, Kansas City. Excellent. So, uh, if, <laughs> so okay. if you don't get anything out of so, this... You so this is the biggest... Oh yeah, exactly. So, so are, are are we doing the podcast now, or are we just talking? <laughs> oh, I've I've been rolling the whole time, so I can edit this up however we want. Okay, but, um, that's fine. No, I think no, that's been, fine. No, this this is great. You've been throwing out a lot of really really good valuable information, which is <laughs> it's interesting because I talk with so many vendors and and people, but it's I rarely get a chance to talk with someone who's really focuses on the business side of things, which is what I tried to convey in the email that I sent to you, like. I work, yeah. Um, it's that thing where it's like, are you working at work? Or are you working on work? You know, are, are you working right. from inside the industry or, or outside? In it's your all business, the same industry, yeah. Yeah. right? And I feel like, yeah, we you know, and I, I have, I, I have a lot of, um, I have perspective that's different than a lot of people because having been, you know, vice president at the knot, having been there for eleven years, and now I, I still consult to them and Wedding Wire and sites like them around the world, but I also consult to businesses like yours. So I have this perspective of both sides. And I did a mastermind day in the UK one time with 10 entertainment companies and 10 people and me, and we're leaving at the end of the day. And one of them said to me, Alan, so how long have you been a DJ? I said, well, I've never been a DJ. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I thought that was pretty clear. You know, I've been a DJ, right? He said, but you know my business better than I do. I said, yeah, I do. I do. I, I can't be a DJ, but I do know your business better than you because I understand that. Being a DJ is not having a DJ business. As a matter of fact, uh, I think right now where a lot of people who have advantage is when the person running the business is not the same person who's out there on Saturday night gigging because they can run the business when it's busy while the other people are out doing their, doing their thing. Um, and they have an advantage, whereas a lot of people you know, they're doing everything. They're trying to do the sales while they're doing four gigs on a weekend. And, you know, it, it's a lot right now. Oh, absolutely. I, and I think when I look back to when I used to play in a band, um, we would we would write music and we did some cover songs and we would book shows around town, but we treated it more like a hobby and but had this mindset that like, oh, somebody's going to notice us and we're going to grow and get better paying gigs and everything but we never truly treated it like a business. You know, we would, yeah. we would accept gigs to, you know, play for beer kind of things, but we yeah. all had. <laughs> oh, I listen, I was there. I, I was there playing keyboard in the bands and, yeah. you know, it was, it, we were making, we were, it, that was better than working, you know, for minimum wage in a store somewhere, right? That's what it was. We could get paid enough on a weekend that it was like working for a week, you know, at flipping burgers. And that's a better thing. So, you know, but I've done general contracting. I've done burglar alarm work. I've done uh, work for a, a publisher, you know, doing some minor editing and stuff. I mean, I've done all kinds of you know, jobs. Um, but, you know, when we were younger, we looked at it as, like you said, you know, if this thing grows to something bigger, that's fine. And then I think about a year after I got married is when I stopped gigging. It's like, okay, that's enough. You know, that, that, that this doesn't have to be it. I enjoy music more 
because I don't have to do it. <laughs> I don't have to play. Um, and the videos I've been putting online was just a dare from a videographer friend of mine. And I, like, I said, all right, I'll put one up there. And now I've put up over 50 videos and we've raised over $2,300 for charities, mostly food banks from my videos. And it's just, that was just kind of on a lark. And that, that's cool. I have another 50 that I've recorded. I haven't put out yet. <laughs> that's cool. I, I, I heard the one that you just did of I dreamed a dream and it was, it was really beautiful. Yeah. Like I, I have, a, a, I love that song, you know, you don't have to be a theater person to like show tunes, but, uh, that was, no. um, that was, that was great. I did not know. Yeah. Um, that was my first time seeing that you played the piano like that. And I come, I took piano lessons growing up and I played the violin growing up. And I think those things helped me to be a better DJ. Um, it's more than just playing a song, yeah. you know, it's creating moods and atmospheres and rolling yeah. with certain genres. In fact, when I was a little kid, I, I wanted to be a DJ for an oldies radio station, um, which they, those the oldie goldies radio stations don't exist anymore. But, you know, I, that's the kind of music I was into. And now, you know, as a DJ, I'm into the, the big festival EDM kind of stuff. But I also like surf rock. Like I really have uh, people say, oh, you're a DJ. What do you like to listen to? And usually the answer is nothing. I like to sit in silence when I'm <laughs> driving. <laughs> or listen to podcasts, you know, which maybe I was thinking about why your DJ friend decided to have a toned down wedding because he just wanted to do something a little bit different from what other people do, you know, um, which right. makes me... he, he does for his customers. He does for his customers what you do for yours. Yes. And then when he was the customer, he, he got to choose what he wanted. And, uh, you know, that's it should be that now I do. Uh, yeah, I, I do French lessons when I'm driving in my car, or when I'm working out. Because again, I could listen to music, I could listen to podcasts, audiobooks, but yeah. I do Duolingo or, or well, podcasts in French. It's you get it is time that is you're pretty much forced into, you know, if you're driving to Kansas City or wherever you're going, um, that's time and time's valuable. And it's like, you know, how can you really utilize this time to do something to better yourself since you're kind of locked into it anyhow? So you can, I feel like it's a way to, right. you know, um, but anyhow, so back to what we were saying about your friend, maybe doing a, a little down, not so interactive wedding. It's okay. This is something that I try to tell my clients all the time. It's okay to do something that's your own and make it your own. Um, everyone sees Pinterest or they see these photos. And like you were saying earlier, a wedding that takes place in, um, Montana is going to be vastly different from something that takes place here in South Carolina. And just because, and you're looking at all these pictures from around the country and piecing together something that you're most likely never going to be able to afford all of those experiences in your environment. Um, so it's like, what are you into and how can right. you make this your day? Um, and I've, I say this all the time. Well, you know, whenever people come to me and they, I, I was going to say uh, Pinterest, I'll let you speak. Oh, thanks. Yeah, a little delay here. So with Pinterest and Instagram, when someone shows me a picture, my question to them is always, what do you like about this? I don't assume that they want what's in the picture. What is that do you like about this? And they could show you a picture and you're assuming, oh my gosh, look at those centerpieces. They're probably $3,000 a piece and you know all that kind of stuff. And they, they could say to you, I really like the colors. 
<laughs> and you're like, well, we can do those colors. We can make that happen. But, you know, we're not going to give you that centerpiece. We can make that happen. So too many people assume if you sh if they show you a picture that that's exactly what they want. Um, like with a dress shop, you know, we're talking about Kansas City. I did, uh, I've done uh, training for dress shops in Kansas City before. Somebody walks in with a picture of a dress. There is almost zero chance that they are going to actually buy that dress because the, the model is six foot tall, size zero, and the bride is you know, five foot two size 10, it just doesn't match up, right? But what they, what they should be saying to the bride is, wow, that's a really beautiful look. What is it that you like about this? And then let her express that. And then after that say, well, what would you change? Right, and she might say, well, I changed this and I would change that. Next thing you know, she's changed 80% of the dress. <laughs> so if you say, what do you like about this picture on Pinterest? And they point out one or two things and you're like, hey, we can do something like that between lighting and between some decor and stuff. We can give you that vibe on your budget. But it's again, comes back to my book, Shut Up and Sell More is don't assume that they show you a picture. They want everything in there, you know, because that picture could be from, you know, Preston Bailey, who's got a minimum $250,000 budget, you know, for if you want to hire him, you have to have a minimum $250,000 decor budget right? Like decor budget, not the wedding, just the decor. But you, if you show me a Preston Bailey picture, ask the, 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 the couple, what is it about this that you like? And they could say, I, I really love the style. Okay. I love the f colors. I love the way they did whatever. Okay. Well, can we do something like that, but on a budget that makes sense for you? And the answer is almost always yes. As a matter of fact, when I was at The Knot, there was a TV show called My Celebrity Wedding by The Knot. And what they did is they took a celebrity's wedding, like Chris Aguilera, and then they took a regular couple and they said, how do we give you this look, but on your budget? Now, granted, if it was in New York City, it was still not a tiny budget, but it wasn't a million or $2 million budget. It could have been a you know, $50,000, $70,000 budget, but they were able to say, okay, look what she did here, right? We can do this. We're not gonna have real crystal chandeliers will have plastic right we're gonna have purple and blue like she did and we can do it here in the linens and here and there whatever and they were able to make that happen it was actually a show that ran for a, you know a bunch of episodes saying exactly that how do i take what this celebrity did on a big budget and ha help you do that on your budget and it's give me the feel right give me the, what is it you like about this and I, I think too many salespeople in general not just wedding salespeople tell people what they can do instead of finding out what people want what's important to them and then helping them have the experience this is what i said to this this guy the other day room that was asking me i said you know there's two things happening that day you're going to get married and then nothing else has to happen right? like you don't have to have a party there's no law that says you have to have a party people spend 50 to 60 billion dollars a year in this country alone on parties for weddings because they don't figure they're going to do it again, right? Now, many of them will be wrong, <laughs> but they don't figure they're going to do it again. You, you, don't go in, you don't go into your wedding going, hey, Kevin, this wedding's going to be great, but my next wedding, oh, is that going to be fun? You know, nobody does that. <laughs> so I said, what you're doing, I actually, you know who Colin Cowley is? Are you familiar with Colin Cowley? He did Seinfeld's wedding and he's done other celebrities and stuff like that. So he's a big, he's a big deal. And I heard him speak many, many, many years ago at this, the Boathouse in Central Park at an event. And he said, he tells his couples who are spending seven figures, eight figures, right? Like millions of dollars or more on their events. This is your first chance as a married couple 
to host a party for your friends and family. So what would you serve your friends and family at a party? What did they like to eat? What kind of music did they like to hear, right? What experience do you want them to have? You know, I expand it and say, listen, the ceremony is all about you because that is your marriage. So that should be all about you. Yes, I want Aunt Sally in row 24 to hear every word of your vows, so please have a sound system, but that's all about you. Now the party is you hosting a party for your friends and family. So don't be selfish about what you, you want without taking into consideration what they want. Uh, like you as a DJ, you know, the, the do not playlist. Uh, to me, that's one of the most ridiculous things because that's a song you don't like. But uh, I mean, how many times has somebody said to you, I don't want the electric slide. I don't want the cha-cha shuffle. You play the electric slide at almost any event in the world and you're going to pack a dance floor, right? You're going to pack a dance floor. So if you, the couple, doesn't like the electric slide, don't dance. It's four minutes, right? It's four, it's four minutes. Don't dance. But when your aunts and your cousins and your friends are out doing the electric slide or the Cupid shuffle or, you know, the wobble or whatever it is, having a blast, isn't that what it's about? Yeah, just like, let them have a blast. Yeah, find happiness in the in the joy that you're creating for your friends and family. You know, there's, there's a picture from this marquee show that I was at this uh, the other day with me on the dance floor doing the cha-cha shuffle. Me and a whole bunch of people. And there's me in a suit doing the cha-cha shuffle. And I wasn't the only guy out there. I was there was a bunch of us out there, but the dance floor was packed. So just, you know, have fun. Yeah. Um, I, and of course I do have that do not playlist because people want to know, are, are you going to take requests from guests? And I don't mind taking requests at all. Um, a lot of times people come up to me and they mention a song and I'm like, I'm so happy you told me that, that nothing actually would have fit more perfect right now than that request, um, right. that, I, that I may not have been thinking of. Um, and then sometimes they tell me a song that is so off the wall, still a fantastic, you know, maybe a good song at another time. Or it is just ridiculous. right, right. And I have these people who try to sneak things in and they're just like, oh, you know, uh, when we were growing up, my sister loved Winnie the Pooh. If you played the Winnie the Pooh theme song right now, she's going to lose her mind. And I'm like, I bet she would lose her mind. <laughs> and I'm probably, you know, uh, like in a bad way. Um, not in a good way, though. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't yeah, think not, you're not, not, not in a good way. Yeah, the <laughs> result. play it for her tomorrow or something, you know, um, tell her but the thing that i'm looking for is is there a song yeah. that would be like create like an extremely awkward environment i don't there's like songs that have people's names in them um sweet caroline being a very popular song and one that everybody loves but if for some right. reason you know caroline is the bridesmaid who got the axe who's no longer allowed to be there she's like i don't want to hear caroline's name on my wedding day or the ex-girlfriend Right. Or the, or the ex-girlfriend. Yeah, right. Yeah. We could talk about that right now. <laughs> I usually use the my analogy, but I, I don't like to say things like, oh, it could be his ex-girlfriend. And then she, like, you're right. Caroline is his ex-girlfriend and we're not playing that. So, you know, like, <laughs> I'm like, I, I, so I'm like this. This do not playlist is more to uh, avoid something awkward from happening. I don't want to play a song right. that your family traditionally plays at funerals versus a wedding, you know, right. But but right. But the requests, you know, like you said, you it's your job as the entertainer 
to say that this song is appropriate right now for the mood that's going on, for the, what's happening on the dance floor. I was at an event one time where, first of all, they had a subwoofer the size of a Volkswagen in front of the DJ booth, right? And they had a clipboard there with requests. Now, this was a corporate event. It wasn't a wedding, but, but we were dancing. And this DJ literally just went down the list of the requests in order. They had no no, no connection to yeah. one another. They weren't the same. They weren't the same feel. They weren't the same genre. They weren't the same anything. You know, if if you have us on the floor doing "Staying Alive," "Back in Black" is probably not a good transition, right? I mean, it's it's probably probably not a place to go right now. And but maybe if you started a set with "Back in Black" and you got the dance floor going, okay, well let's continue down that road. But he lost the dance floor. And then he'd get it back a little bit and then he'd lose it again and then it back him and we'd be standing on the dance floor going um yeah no, no we were having fun here no we're we're gonna leave right now <laughs> and that's the again that's when you hire the wrong entertainer um but again what, what, what's the goal the goal is that that particular set of people whoever they are right friends family companies kids, whatever it is, are going to walk away from this going, wow, that was just such a fun time, whatever that means, right? It doesn't have to be EDM dance party to have a, be a fun time, because that might be your idea of it, but not theirs. But if their idea is, you know, we did achy breaky heart, and you know, we were out there doing our achy breaky dance, and that, well, we loved it. Good, good. That That's great. It does, uh, you know, Mike Walter, you familiar with Mike Walter? Um, um, so elite entertainment here in New Jersey, he, he's I, written, literally written the book on multi-op DJs. Um, anyway, so I remember him posting online one time about the, you know, um, songs that he's just tired of hearing. And he said, you know what? I remind myself every, every time when it's like, oh, I want this song. And in your head, you're like, <sighs> again, right? Yeah. For me, it's again, for them, it's the song that they want give them the song that they want, give them the time that they want, unless it's just totally, you know, inappropriate, right? You know, you're not going to play, you know, WAP, yeah. you know, at, at a wedding. <laughs> Usually not, no. I hope. No, no. Um, Usually not. It's true, and it, and it goes back to you as a band or a, a, me as like a theater performance. You can run that show, the exact same show, 100 times but each time you do it it has to be as if it was the first time you're excited about it the delivery's there um and right you know whenever people have these like like birthday parties or just anything you realize this may be the only time they've actually gone to a big event in the past it doesn't not take COVID out of it but people don't go out to parties mm -hmm. as often as people in the industry do i see these every single weekend right. some of them may go to one or two weddings in right. a year or have a corporate event and they have been looking forward to that for however long it's been coming. And then, you know, like not, not everyone hears the wobble every week. I hear it, you know, multiple times a week. Right, right. And you know, and when people do get excited, do buy new clothing and shoes and, you know, they, they go and they want to let their hair down. Um, my joke is always that I let my hair down so many times it never came back, but that's a, that's another well, story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, but that's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear uh, that um, you, you had that much fun and, or, or you know, um, so yeah. I, um, I know I'd sent you over an email with a couple of things to talk about, but we've, you've given sure. 
so much valuable information here. I, I really can't wait to, it's, it's great to have um, somebody, you're actually, uh, like I said, one of the first people I've spoken with that I'm trying to, I'm just trying to provide information for my clients to, so that I can help give them the best exceptional service because I want a, a five-star review. I mean, that's, I want the word of mouth. Yeah. I, and I would like to let them know that I say at the end of all of this, I want you to give me a review for better, or for worse, but I want you to know that my goal is to get a five-star review out of this. And I want to offer that service to you. Um, and I don't know, do you have an opinion on that? No, I think setting people up for the, for the concepts or here's again, how I would do it. If I was a wedding professional, I would say, um, I like to ask people questions when it's a yes or no, if I already know the answer. So if you said to a couple, hey, have you guys been reading reviews when deciding you know, who to choose for your wedding or event? The answer is gonna be yes, because over 90% of them do, right? So then I wanna know, where did you choose to read them? And the reason I'm doing this, Kevin, is because I wanna know where to send them to post. So if they've been reading on the knot, I'll send them to the knot to post the review because they're probably logged in or, you know, if they've been reading on Yelp, I'll send them there or Facebook or Google or whatever. So, you know, where have you been reading? You've been reading over there. That's great. And, and, and that's been in influencing you, right? Yes. Well, here's something that I just want to let you know right now. I am looking forward to your review after your wedding because that helps show other couples what we can do for them as well. I hope it's a five-star review because that's the only way we like to roll. We want to make your wedding great. I want to get the review no matter what you have to say. I'm pretty sure it's going to be good because you've read our reviews that brought you to us. But just want you to know I'm going to be asking for your review then, and I look forward to hearing it. Okay, and that's it. So I'm setting them up for that the same way as you, but I'm I'm again couching it in that well you've been reading reviews, they've been influencing you, your review is going to help other people decide whether or not we're a good fit as well, which is exactly the truth. That's what it is. You think about all of the venues or all the entertainment companies in South Carolina, right? Hundreds, they're just hundreds. You made it to the short list when they reached out to you in the first place. That's what we do as consumers. It's called decision paralysis. There's so many choices we can't decide. So we start eliminating choices, right? Like on Tinder, swipe left, right? Swipe left, swipe left. <laughs> so they get down to a small list and whether you're the DJ or whether you're the, the venue or whether you're the photographer or whatever, you made it to a small list, which means hundreds of other companies are no longer in the running. What you need to do now is just find out how did you make it to that list? What are their expectations? How can I show them some things that they didn't even know that we could do for them because I know what they expect and then go and do it. Then blow them away so that they want to write you a review and go, we were expecting really, really good and we got amazing. Right? That's what you want your review to say. We knew it was going to be good. We just didn't know how good it could be. And set them up for that. Just tell them, I expect to you know, see a review. Uh, and you know, the thing with reviews is you have to ask, and sometimes you have to ask again and again. And it's not that they don't want to do it. It's that they get busy. Life gets in the way, right? They just got married, and you know, now they're going back to work. They're dealing with whatever, school and family and all this kind of stuff. You might have to ask again. This is, I give these out to my clients. This is one of my favorite phrases. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. That applies to your customers the same way. If they don't, hey, Kevin, I just saw this thing. You know, can you do this? If they don't ask you, the answer is no, right? So let them ask you. That's right. And if you've never done it, you can be like, huh, 
That is very cool. Let me look into that and make sure I can do that right for you. And then if it happens to cost more, people pay for that experience. If they're like, hey, can you do this? And you say, yeah, that's going to be $500 more. I'd be like, well, do it. I want it. Do it. And it's amazing how budgets, <laughs> every budget is made up, right? Think about it. Technically, every budget ever created in the history of the world was made up by somebody, which means every budget can be changed. And according to the knot, couples go over their wedding budgets by 30 to 40% because they don't know what stuff should cost. So they end up buying the experiences that they want and it ends up costing them more. So, and again, why do they do it? Because they don't wanna ever have to do this again. They're thinking it's done. You know, my parents were one month shy of 65 years married when my mom passed. My in-laws are 63 or 64 years now, right? They're, they're married. So. That's what you're hoping for when you get married is let's let's go for the marathon here. Right. <laughs> so, Alan, uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more information about you and your services? Very easy. My website, allenberg.com, A-L-A-N-B-E-R-G.com. Uh, my podcast is the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast. It's on every platform or just go to podcast.allenberg.com. Uh, if you're on Amazon or Audible or Kindle, you can find all of my books. All five of them are there. Uh, again, you'll find them also through my website. There's a shopallenberg.com as well. So nice and easy. Go to my website. All the links are there for everything. Thanks. Perfect. All right. Have a happy 4th of July weekend. Be safe and uh, don't party too hard. Thanks for inviting me. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to the Inspire Your Event podcast. Like subscribe, be a part of the inspiration to change the way the world parties. Let's get out there and do this. No more cookie cutter weddings. Visit eventsbysnow.com for more information.